Welcome to HLB Cross Border Business Talks, HLB's global podcast series on international business topics. Hi, everyone, and welcome to our Cross Border Business Talks. Today, we will be speaking about three letters with big impacts ESG and what it means for transfer pricing. I am Rita Carolyn, PR and Communications Manager with HLB, and I am joined by HLB's Global Transfer Pricing Leader, Carlos Camacho, Emma McCarthy, Director at HLB member firm Menzies, and Clancy Apavo, HLB's Global Not-for-Profit Industry Leader and member of the HLB Sustainability Group. Welcome, everyone. Hello. Hello. Hi. So Emma, let's start with the basics. What is ESG? Okay, so ESG stands for Environmental, Social and Governance. Effectively, these are standards measuring a business's impact on the environment, society and how transparent and responsible the business is. Getting ESG right should drive value creation and manage risk. But getting it wrong could expose a business to significant risk and lead to dissatisfied stakeholders, which will include investors, customers, business partners and, of course, employees. In the UK, the, the Companies Act requires large and medium sized companies to publish an annual strategic report, which must include information on ESG related items such as the business's environmental impact, employee disclosures, social community and human rights issues and the company's policies on each. In April 2022, the UK also enacted two mandatory ESG disclosure laws relating to climate change, and these make climate related financial disclosures mandatory for certain publicly quoted companies, banks, insurance companies, large private companies and also certain limited liability partnerships. The government certainly hopes this will lead to the, to the development of best practice and has also produced guidance which can assist smaller companies that may want to disclose their data on a voluntary basis. So for all companies, regardless of size, it's becoming increasingly important that they can understand and access their ESG data as they may be asked for it by their stakeholders. Although many businesses readily acknowledge that ESG equates with corporate responsibility, many others are still confused about ESG reporting and the impacts it may have on the business, including its interaction with transfer pricing. Thanks, Emma. That brings me nicely onto my next question to you, Carlos. How exactly does ESG involve transfer pricing? Thank you. Yes, indeed. Uh, in fact, one of the things that ESG have as a subject is uh, that is very transversal uh, viewpoint. So there is uh, very few things that you may be doing or uh, avoiding to do in your uh, business running that may not be touched by ESG. And of course, transfer pricing is one of those areas where ESG involves the accurate payment of the fair share of taxes to the given jurisdiction that is appropriate in accordance to the value chain analysis. And this leads us to what is that value chain and how do we allocate the profitability to the different business environments that a multinational enterprise might be doing business in. 
transfer pricing also have the attribution the objective to uh, to serve as a tool of attribution of such profits according to this value creation in a fairly compensated environment and to have an impact on a given jurisdiction with fairness in the uh, relationships amongst the related parties as well. Transfer pricing will also lead with dealing with intangibles where the digital economy, which is today's major challenge for all tax purposes, is the way that we attribute the residual profits coming from the trade over the digital economy and platforms. Therefore, we have a big challenge that is being addressed by the OECD recently with a pillar one and pillar two approach of the digital economy. Thanks, Carlos. It seems that ESG certainly does seep its way into many areas of transfer pricing. So Emma, I'd like to come back to you now to find out what other areas of tax does ESG affect? Okay, thanks Rita. So <clears throat> yes, as, as Carlos has mentioned, transfer pricing is so key because um, if ESG strategy is front and central and making a significant difference to business, then of course the business must update its transfer pricing analysis and documentation so that those ESG related changes are considered and their impact on the, the TP model and pricing policies. But there are so many other areas of tax as well. So in the UK, for example, we have a really beneficial R&D tax relief regime, although the one that is changing quite considerably from 1st of April 2023, um, with further changes expected to take place from 1st of April 2024. But businesses investing in ESG and undertaking innovative work could perhaps benefit from making R&D claims. And even if businesses are collaborating with third parties on ESG initiatives, it may still be possible to qualify for some of this valuable R&D relief. And I believe there are similar such beneficial R&D tax relief schemes in other countries that global businesses might consider. Also, where businesses invest significant sums in capital expenditures, such as perhaps green and more energy efficient plant machinery and equipment, it's important to ensure that the business is claiming and maximising all relevant capital allowances in their UK tax returns. So we thought about opportunities there, but of course, in terms of tax cost, there are green taxes that are levied both in the UK and various countries around the globe, and businesses should make sure they're aware of these. They are levied as a way of encouraging businesses to try and operate in a more environmentally friendly way. So any business should consider any actions that can be taken to minimise these taxes, as well as assessing the overall cost impact on the business. Green taxes currently in place in the UK include the climate change levy, emissions trading scheme, landfill tax, aggregates levy and the plastic packaging tax or, or PPT. I thought I might today just talk a bit more about the plastic packaging tax, since some businesses may not yet have considered the full implications since it was only introduced uh, last year in April 2022. It's been introduced for any businesses manufacturing or importing plastic packaging of at least 10 tonnes per year and broadly applies to packaging that contains more plastic by weight than any other single material. There are also some exemptions to take into account, such as a medical exemption and a transportation packaging exemption. 
But for any businesses with plastic packaging in their supply chain, it's important they understand how this regime impacts them and whether they have any reporting or liabilities under this new regime. And maybe just finally on some other areas of tax relevant to ESG and thinking about businesses who want to change their behaviour, are there some quick and easy wins? Well, yes, there are. For example, those with company car schemes could consider providing employees with energy efficient vehicles. Electric vehicles as company cars will have a lower benefit in kind value, which significantly lowers the tax payable on the benefit, meaning less income tax for the employee and less national insurance contributions for the employer. <clears throat> and such a scheme can also be introduced via perhaps salary sacrifice, which could also be beneficial for all parties. OK, great. So I think we have been given a good overview on how ESG tax and transfer pricing are intertwined. So now let's move on to more stakeholder or client expectations. Clancy, are you seeing pressure on your business or from clients on ESG mandates? Thank you, Rita. Hi, everyone. Uh, definitely, uh, Mauritius, uh, I don't know whether everyone knows about Mauritius, but it's a small island uh, in the Indian Ocean, a tourist island. And it is the example, typical small economy uh, where the clock is already ticking for us. You know, we have got a lot of pressure from climate changes and ESG is an important, important and critical issue. In those small island economies, normally, you know, for example, in Mauritius, uh, we live a paradox on an everyday basis because generally, right, we say that we produce around 0.01% of carbon dioxide of the whole world. And yet, we suffer the fact that we are ranked among the most risky countries. So we are classified 51st right, countries among the 200 countries uh, which have been uh, repertoried. So government here is taking a lot of uh, a lot of commitment, right, to mobilize uh, at least two percent of uh, the country's GDP for ESG, and this agenda will bring us to the net zero until 2030. Our firm is actually under pressure from clients who have to take firm commitments to reduce their carbon footprint and report thereon. So the pressure comes from new, new climate legislation, government regulations and civil societies. And I can summarize a few, I just mentioned a few of those measures actually. For example, we have been, uh, since two years now, we have been obliged to abolish the use of plastic. And this has got an effect directly on clients who run supermarkets and they have to undergo a complete shift in the delivery of goods from shops. And even factories which are manufacturing plastic products have to undergo major production shift. We also have the case of hotels. As you know, Mauritius is a tourist uh, uh, destination as many islands. And here, there is so much pressure that hotels are, are, are required to design and install autonomous system for energy generation. For example, now there is a shift into windmills, a shift into wave technology, into solar energy. And also there is a need for hotels, for example, for those which are around, around the coast, right, to, to do their own waste management and water purification. So desalination of seawater for, 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 for human consumption, for, for, for you know, uh, even recycling of, of rainwater is something that we are living as a normal thing now. So just to say that the sources coming from different areas and today, for example, in Mauritius, we have got only some 7% of waste is being recycled. So within the ESG landscape, we have got much pressure to, 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 to develop and to use 
right, to convert, right, to make uh, to make it become a reality, what we call a circular economy. So make con con converting waste into energy. So there's a shift actually in production methods, and even a small entrepreneur, they are obliged to go for new changes and adopt ESG uh, principles in what they do. We already imp implemented ESG in school curricula, right? So it has become a central, a central theme for us, and everybody is living it. So definitely, we are having pressure from regulations, from laws, you know, from different things happening, and we are living it every day at a small island. Wow, well, for a small island, you have a, very, a lot going on in terms of ESG. Mm. Um, so Emma, do you have anything to add from a UK perspective, please? Yes, so I think we, we obviously we all have an important role to play in ESG and, and, and everyone I think is, is becoming more and more interested in it. And so for all companies, regardless of size, I, I think it's becoming increasingly important that they, they both understand, manage and, and can report on their ESG data to any interested parties and that they really closely monitor what's going on in the world and legislative, legislative developments um, so that they, they can ensure compliance and, and that that ESG agenda really is, is at the front of, of uh, the front of their minds in, in all that they're doing. Okay, thank you. I'm going to stick with you for another while, Emma. <laughs> what do you feel is the most important aspect of ESG and are there any aspects that cause challenge? Okay, so I think going back to what I said right at the beginning it is that, you know, getting ESG right, it should drive value creation and, and help businesses manage risk. And it is what stakeholders expect. Getting it wrong can be really damaging. But ESG covers so much and so the breadth and depth of how different businesses are embracing ESG hugely varies between different industries and different companies. What, what we're doing at Menzies is encouraging clients to talk to us about the challenges that their businesses face and also how ESG can potentially help. It isn't just something for the biggest businesses or investors to worry about. Really, everyone needs to think about what they can do. So a business should maybe think about whether it can answer these three questions. First of all, what ESG information do you currently receive and, and what are you measuring? Secondly, are you aware of the impact the ESG pressures are having on your business? And thirdly, have you considered the internal and external pressures, threats and opportunities? So when thinking about these areas, think about what is the long term goal for your business and how can ESG help? And how in your business do you define purpose, values, culture and strategy? Menzies recently produced a report for the manufacturing sector, which was called Unlocking Value on the Road to Net Zero. And this identified some research by Make UK, which found that 30% of UK manufacturing firms still hadn't made an individual or team within their business accountable for the development and delivery of an ESG strategy. It also found that 50% of firms weren't measuring their sustainability performance. So I think those statistics nicely illustrate the huge scale of challenge that's still ahead for so many businesses. So just to wrap all that up, I believe that the challenge for companies is that they really need to assess where they are on their ESG journey, 
where they want to get to and what help or advice they may need to get there. Thank you, Emma. Um, Clancy or Carlos, have you anything further to add to this? Yes, uh, uh, Rita, I, I think that what Emma is saying is very, very true and it applies uh, everywhere. It is it cut, it cut across all types of industries, all types of companies. Coming from a small, econ small island economy, as I was saying, the free elements of ESG are all important for us because we consider that they all create value. They are value creation. And at the Shelby Mauritius, we encourage uh, companies to include ESG objective as primary goals in their mission and vision statement. So that becomes it becomes uh, common to everyone. Everybody is aware and every employees, all the, the board, not only from the board level, but it comes down the line, right? So everybody is aware of that. Some companies are still, we know, we recognize that many companies are still cemented in this uh, idea, in this concept of bottom line results. And in fact, consciousness about ESG is taking a bit more time, but the clock is kicking and everybody is seeing the effects around. And definitely, right, value creation is very important right through the ESG. Carlos, anything else? Absolutely. Uh, in, in the region in Latin America where we have ESG as a subject that people is just embracing and talking about, while that is happening, the facts of action are still uh, waiting for becoming a reality. And this just shows how uneven this is in, in a worldwide basis uh, overtaken and how can this impact in the level of uh, accomplishing the goals of ESG in one hand, but also in the level of unfair competition because those that are uh, having the burden of uh, getting the commitment and be uh, also responsible uh, accomplishing with the ESG commitments uh, have a burden that those that are just talking about are not really uh, having an impact in their uh, business modules and their economics. So I think it's important to run for the pace to be aligned amongst the rest of the world. So there is not unfair competition as far as the level of commitment and the impact in the PNL of the different entities that go along the lines of the value chain and the comprehensive externalities that the production of the clients are able to understand for the goodness of their own products, as well as the services regarding ESG. The documentation regarding the transparency, coherence, and substance or of factual attribution of the value chain is something that is becoming more and more critical. And we can foresee that this is quite uneven from region to region in the world. Okay, thank you. So moving on from some of the challenges to more of the advantages of ESG to transfer pricing and how these advantages can impact clients. So Carlos, I'll come to you first and then I'd like to hear from Emma and Clancy. Uh, yes, the, the 
big advantage that uh, transfer pricing have as a methodology is that it's a very objective methodology. Therefore, the uh, appropriate allocation in theoretical terms of such a profit that is to be uh, attributable to a given jurisdiction based upon the value creation is something that will serve as a uh, landmark in order to establish whether or not the entities are complying or not with the uh, fair uh, commitment to their taxation in the different jurisdictions. Taxes are uh, key to the social element of the ESG, and of course, taxes is the way that the society, the modern society, is agreed in order to uh, redistribute the income generated and the wealth generated amongst the uh, value chain production. When the attribution of the value chain is comprehensive uh, and have some negative externalities, those uh, production uh, of the clients are able to understand the goodness of their products and services regarding the ESG. Therefore, the documentation of, of these uh, facts regarding the transfer pricing value chain and attribution of profits and fair, fair share of taxes is something that is uh, key in the elements of alignment of the value chain. Emma, have you anything else to add? Okay, yeah, I, I think what I'd add is to say in terms of advantages, for a group of companies that's really embracing ESG, incorporating ESG considerations into their transfer pricing analysis can really help them to demonstrate their commitment to sustainability and ethical practices, and really importantly, avoid any negative attention and penalties, perhaps from tax authorities as, as well as other stakeholders. Um, and to perhaps to bring this to life a bit more, um, an example of investment in ESG could be setting up a more environmentally friendly supply chain with a focus on reduced carbon footprints. And if this was set up for a multinational sales and distribution group, it may cost the business more, but could result in being able to sell products to end customers at higher prices because of customers really valuing that ethical and green supply chain and the business's focuses on that. So any entity in the group that has, has borne any investment in relation to ESG, which benefits the supply chain and, and benefits the group of companies as a whole, should ensure that they receive an appropriate reward for this investment through their transfer pricing model. So when any group looks at their transfer pricing model each year and analyzes industry and company specifics, they should understand the impact of any ESG initiatives and revisit their functional analyses and look at the functions driving business profits and creating value. And, and that may well include those ESG um, considerations. So, um, that business will then consider whether perhaps they need to change their TP policies and, of course, update any TP documentation accordingly. Thanks, Emma. Lengthy? Anything uh, you'd like to, to add? add? Yeah, I just want to add, uh, Rita, that, you know, uh, I, don't, I think there has been a double effect with the pandemic, uh, the pandemic coming through, right, uh, with the disruption that there has been in supply chains around 
And at the same time now with the ESG, uh, the pressure coming out from ESG, there is there is for companies now a, a, a real obligation, right, to 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 go for uh, to prioritize ecological supply chain, right, and even in a, in a, in a, even in different economies now we see that even local producers now are making a must, not only right to implement right the principles of ESG in their supply chain, but also to get green reporting, to get reports, right, which the green label, right, to, to, to report on production, right, which really is ecological. Great. Okay. So to conclude, I would like to do a quick whip around on what you think your role as advisors is on ESG. And this question probably comes in two parts. So firstly, what in what is in it for member firms? And secondly, what can clients expect from their firms? Carlos, I'll start with you. Thank you. Uh, I guess that uh, member firms are a, a conduit for the cultural change that is necessary in order to embrace the ESG commitment. In general, HLB International is a steer for change of global environment and as a multidisciplinary organization, with a great level of professionalisms and very wide, diverse professionals to spread the meaning of the place and have a real influence uh, to let ESG become a reality other than just another trend, another mega trend, so-called. And I, I think that is, is fair to say that each of us as business leaders and as business advisors have the, the mission to really uh, put uh, the, the talk and the walk uh, in place. Okay, thank you, Carlos. And Emma? I completely agree with Carlos there that cultural change is so very important and critical. And, and I would say that, that Menzies as a firm believes in pushing the boundaries to develop employees, act sustainably, work with the community and, and grow our business in a really responsible manner. Menzies has a better place commitment embedded in our culture and really wants to make a difference uh, to clients with our brighter thinking advice. Uh, we've got clear, clear plans in place around diversity, equity and inclusion, corporate social responsibility, reducing emissions and becoming net carbon zero by 2027. So looking at how we can help our clients on the transfer pricing front, and as part of our transfer pricing services to clients, we'll always consider where the where their business is on the ESG journey and whether it's a key value driver and or a risk in the business, which, of course, will be relevant when looking at the group's transfer pricing model. We'll also consider any other associated tax issues, some of which I've mentioned today, such as um, R&D and, and, and whether there's any opportunity for making R&D tax relief claims. And of course, help clients think through the impact of uh, the plastic packaging tax, which I mentioned earlier, and any other green taxes, and also any energy efficient tax breaks. Because it's so critical, Menzies have recently launched a whole new ESG service offering, um, and, and we hope that this will be really helpful to clients over the coming years. I really firmly believe that the most successful and progressive leaders of today will be embracing ESG throughout their businesses in various forms, 
it's it's such a vast and ever-changing topic and it's certainly no longer background noise and really should be considered the backbone of any business and at Menzies we're really enthusiastic about helping to guide businesses through a process to decide what areas they should be looking at and the value it can bring to them. Ultimately, I guess it comes down to a de-risking and future-proofing strategy that will make businesses more valuable and provide opportunities for growth. Whether a company is under pressure to do this yet or not, we would advise that really acting now is the best option. Okay, thank you, Emma. And last but not least, over to you, Clancy, for the final words. Yes, uh, Rita. I have personally had the opportunity to form part of the Sustainability Leadership Group of HLB Global. And uh, I have brought that home, right? Uh, everything that we have been working together. And now we have set the scene uh, through HLB Mauritius because we have gone a step further by becoming a registered, what we call a UN compact company. We, went, we wanted your registration with the United Nations. And I have, last September, I had the opportunity to present a paper on climate change on our hospitality industry. Now, today, HLB Mauritius uh, uh, has its own pilot carbon footprint as an example to clients, right, which is based on UN guidelines. And this initiative has been a key, uh, you know, have been key in helping us uh, structure our ESG business services. We've got a team now, an ESG team, uh, which works with independent ESG consultant and the regional UN office to promote ESG as a service. Apart from implementing ESG objective and uh, in, the, in, the, in those enterprises and in their TP policies, we help clients to tap green loan facilities. We provide training, right? And we, 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 we are there, right? which means that there is a service which is there already. And we, we continue to be in the front line, right? By, by, by making ourselves known, right? And it is very well known in our, in our, in our community, in the business community, that we, we really are in the forefront of client services for this. Well, that's all, folks. Thank you, Carlos, Emma and Clancy for all your insights into what ESG is and how it impacts transfer pricing. It seems we have still a way to go, but you definitely seem to be on your way and have given us much food for thought. So thank you all for listening. Thanks for listening. For more information about this topic and other cross-border business insights, visit www.hlb.global forward slash insights.